And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 107 of the Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis, and we have a truly remarkable conversation lined up for all of you with my spiritual mentor and someone that I have the most amount of respect for, Michael Bernard Beckwith. Before we dive into that, I just want to let you all know about my holistic health mastery program. It's a holistic nutrition certification course, and the website for that is holistichealthmastery.com. And after you go over the site, and if you're inspired, activated, and motivated to enroll in this program, and if it feels like the perfect fit for where you're at in your life and where you want to go with this educational platform, you can go to the checkout page and receive 10% off the one-time payment by typing in the coupon code human potential. Again, receive 10% off the one-time payment by typing in human potential. Speaking of human potential, this interview is wow. Wow. Okay. Let me catch my breath for just a moment here. Michael Beckwith has been somebody that I not only have looked up to for the last decade or so, he was one of the most famous voices in the movie The Secret, and he's one of the greatest living masters in the spiritual community worldwide. And I've been associated with Michael Beckwith and the Agape Church in in West LA for at least five or six years. I've spoken at Agape about four times over the years in their living food ministry program. And uh, this conversation was not what I expected. In fact, when you're dealing with someone like Michael Beckwith, 
it's best to expect the unexpected because he is such a transmitter of divine principles and, and wisdom and spiritual principles and how to practicalize these principles in our daily life. In this interview, in all honesty, this is my honest feeling of this. I have heard every single interview that Reverend Beckwith has been a part of on the internet. And this, in my opinion, after listening to it about two times and sharing it with some of my close friends before before we launched it, I have to say this is the single best interview I've ever heard from him. And I don't mean that in the sense that I'm the best interviewer. I just mean what came out of him was the best content I have ever heard from him. And it's stuff that I've never heard before. It's personal stuff from his stories, his life, his journey, things that I think are going to touch you at a very, very core level beyond just the principles, but the deep, deep enriched experience that this man has had over his lifetime. He is one of the great living masters of our time. And it's such an honor to be associated with him. It was an honor to have this conversation and it is a pleasure to share it with all of you. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Enjoy this conversation with myself and Michael Bernard Beckwith. It's my honor and incredible excitement to bring on Michael Bernard Beckwith. How are you? I am outstanding. It's a great day. I'm in a great way. Life is good, and I'm good to be with you, Ronnie. Mm, So good. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I told you before we started, I've been looking forward to it for a few months, but the truth is I've been looking forward to it for about 11 years. Wow. Ever since I came across your work in the movie The Secret when I was about 20 years old, I'm 32 now, so no, that's 12 years, 12, you know, who's counting, right? Um, But that was when I first came across your work, and I have to say that I've had a life visioning or revisioning ever since that moment, and... You were one of the the voices along with people like John Diamartini and a few others that played a very particular role in my personal development path. And it's an incredible honor to share this hour together with you and share your message with everyone listening. So thank you for joining me. It is indeed my joy to be with you. So the best place for us to start, I think, is if I can have you maybe share some brushstrokes of your personal awakening and how the vision of your life's work revealed itself to you. I know that you have a very powerful story of how you awoke to your purpose. And some of the audience may not be aware of that. So if you could share that with us, that would be amazing. <clears throat> it was a number of years ago. I had recently moved um, from Atlanta, Georgia, where I was attending Morehouse College, to Los Angeles, where I uh, began to attend uh, USC a psychobiology major. Uh, my, my trajectory at that time was heading towards med school. And <clears throat> my last year of school there, I began to have a uh, series of um, inner experiences that I could not wrap my head around. I didn't know what was going on. Um, since I was in the psych department at SC, I uh, labeled these particular experiences pathological. I thought something was wrong with me. I was hearing voices, I was seeing, having visions, uh, I was soul traveling, astral traveling, uh, there was so many things going on. And because I didn't have any conscious um, participation in any of these 
of practices and technologies, I didn't know what was going on. So I thought I was going a little crazy. And as time went on, they, these experiences intensified. And one particular experience was the fact that when I would go to sleep at night, I would have this very lucid dream in which these two men, three men would be chasing me, but they were way in the distance. But every night they were a little bit closer. And uh, one night they were very close to me and I could make out their faces. And I turned and looked behind me for some reason and there was a small tent and there were countless people trying to fit, trying to get into this small tent. And I knew every person in line. And I said to myself, these, these guys can't hurt me. I have all of my friends with me. And I turned around and started calling for help. And one by one, they turned their back on me. Two of the men grabbed me and held me down. And then one man took a serrated knife and pushed it into my heart, stabbed me in the heart. The pain physically was excruciating. Emotionally, it was excruciating and terrifying. And I died. And when I woke up, I could see that I was surrounded by this presence of love and beauty. The beauty was beyond description. Everything was shimmering and glowing with a luminosity from the lint on the rug to nature. Everything was just glowing. It was such beauty all around me. And the love that I felt penetrating every aspect of my being was so profound and so, uh, it's, even today I can't really describe the love that penetrated my being. And I, and I woke up to this is real. This is what reality is. And when I woke up, when I got out of bed, I realized something had happened to me. And from that moment on, I was on a quest to discover what had happened. And what was the nature of this love and this beauty later on? And that was my name for God for many years. I never, I didn't use the word God. I used the word love, beauty. And then later on, I added love, beauty, intelligence. And then a number of years later, I was able to embrace the word God again because it meant for me not a man in the sky, but it meant for me this, this presence that I had an encounter with that is my very being and the very being of everyone that is a, everyone that exists, this love and this beauty is, and intelligence is, is penetrating them right now, if only they could see it. Mm-hmm. So that began um, my quest, and I bumped into the sincere practice of meditation, affirmative prayer. Uh, I studied the teachings of Gautama the Buddha, Jesus the Christ, uh, Zoroaster, Walter Russell, George Washington Carver, uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda G, Baba G, uh, Sri Aurobindo, uh, uh, Sri Sri uh, 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 Krishna. Uh, I studied all of these beings and could see the correlation of their teaching that all of them had had an encounter that was very similar to what I had and had woken up. And though men built religions around them, they weren't seeking to build new religions. They were seeking to help wake people up to their intrinsic nature. And so there was no 
separation between the teachings of the Buddha and teachings of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Or, or the great mystic Walter Russell that came out of America, or uh, Walt, Ralph Waldo Emerson, or, or any of these beings. And so that became my path, and I diligently studied, and more importantly, practiced meditation. Uh, and, 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 and then these worlds unfolded for me. I'd be taken into tremendous light, tremendous luminosity, and be taught on a regular basis. Uh, I could pick up some of the ancient text, and as I was reading them, certain passages would light up. And it wasn't as if I was reading anything new. It was like I was remembering what I already knew that was within me. And that fervor that I had in the beginning, I have the same fervor today. Nothing has abated. Nothing has changed. Mm. I still wake up with a great sense of enthusiasm, sense of love and gratitude. And what's added now is more of I'm, I'm here to be of service for individuals who want to wake up. Mm. Now, the other part of your question in terms of uh, uh, the manifestation of my vision and the way that I serve, that happened a number of years after that. I didn't see myself as a public person. I was having a private love affair with the presence of God. And that was enough for me. And then it kind of grew to people could sense something about me. And I I would work with people one-on-one. And I would help people come to revelations and healings. And eventually I became a spiritual therapist. I, I got licensed as a religious science practitioner. And um, so I was, there was a particular period of time in my life where I was seeing six to eight people every single day, six days a week, working with people one-on-one that grew to having workshops and seminars and silent sadhanas on Saturdays. And, and, and uh, I have my friend uh, Nirvana, Reginald Gale, we would do these workshops together. And because he was the only friend left that I had after I had my awakening, I lost all my friends. Everybody thought I had freaked out and uh, they didn't recognize who I was based on who I used to be. And um, he was one of my last remaining friends from those days because he, too, was becoming more available to the spiritual side of life. So, again, uh, there was a stage in my development where I was having a private practice, doing seminars, silent sadhanas. I was the uh, director of training at a worldwide prayer ministry, and I was on faculty at a, a, a university of higher consciousness. People would go and, and, and be graduate with degrees in this, from the school of ministry. And I was taking classes at the time, but I didn't have any conscious desire to go out and start anything. I just love being the flow of, of higher conversation and this type of thing. And it was at this juncture of my life that I realized that I was in resistance to the next stage of my unfolding. And uh, I resisted it as long as I could. And I started getting these messages that um, my work was good that I was doing but it was not good enough. I, I didn't come to the planet to do uh, to do that. I came to the planet to do the quality of work I was doing, but I was to make a bigger work. And 
what happened was the places where I was working, um, things started to fall apart politically there for me. Things, the, 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 the world got too small for me. Things started to happen that pushed me out of that nest. And, and though the people that were involved meant it for evil, as scripture would say, God meant it for good. It, it pushed me out until I finally, I had a vision. I was in Mexico. And I, was, I had this vision and I saw agape. I saw the spiritual community that I was to develop. So I came back and I shared that um, I was going to be resigning, that I would stay long enough to train my replacement, and that I was being called to start a spiritual community. And I'll always remember this. I was telling the woman who was the director of the prayer ministry, I was the director of training. And, um, and she says, well, where are you going to start this community? And I said, I've been guided to start the community in Santa Monica. And she said, in Santa Monica, what about your people? And I said, short people? <laughs> and she, yeah, obviously she meant people of color, you know. And she said, oh, no, I didn't mean anything by it. And I said, I understand. You know, I've been called to start this work in Santa Monica. And, you know, I, I am here to serve all people. It doesn't matter what their color of their skin is, what their past religious affiliation is, what their ethnicity is, what their nationality is, what their sexual orientation is. I'm, I'm being called. And I'm going to answer this call. So November the 30th, 1986, I had my first public service after months of doing the vision process with a group of people that I had called together to be a part of this work that I was to develop. And so those people came from private clientele who had always said to me, if you ever start anything, I want to be with you. And I used to say, I'm not starting anything. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> The people from the seminars, the people from that I was teaching practitioner training, uh, they all came together. They didn't know each other, but they all knew me. And they all came together and formed the basis of the vision, first vision group for the Agape International Spiritual Center. And we met every Thursday for a number of months until intuitively I felt that it was time to go public. Mm. That's when we began to do the planning, invitations, finding a spot, renting a spot, this type of thing to actually, you know, have a public service. And I've been going ever since November 30th, 1986 to November 30th, 2016. That was 30 years. Mm. And so we're in our 31st year and countless beings have been affected by this this teaching uh, and by uh, this community. And um, I feel like I'm just getting started. If I didn't know that, you know, that it was 30 years, I wouldn't believe it because who does, who does things for 30 years? <laughs> and, uh, but to me, it's like just one day at a time, just one day I'm here, you know, I'm doing it mm. to the best of my ability and trying to build people and then people will build the community, you know. So that's that's the story in short. There was a lot of um, insight, undulation of light moving through me, and then integration to higher levels. I had to, I would get the insight, then I had to integrate it mm-hmm. through spiritual practice, so that it became an embodiment. And and so that when I'm teaching, I'm not teaching something that I've memorized or read, even though I've read it. 
I'm teaching something that I've had an encounter with that I've subsequently, through the practice of meditation and visioning, actually embodied it to a degree. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what carries us. Yeah, uh, wow. There was like light bulb moments coming up every two minutes and I was like, wow, I want to bring this up. I want to bring this up. And really, so what I get so much out of that story is this sense of um, like divine providence, right? This sense of that, you know, what you just said, I think is so practical and so important for all of us is that when we have big dreams and we have visions, it's easy. I know for myself, it has been easy to get consumed by an idea but not necessarily had integrated it completely. And I think the, the, the takeaway, at least for me, that I want to kind of pull out of that is the integration pace or the integration phase of what it is to have an insight. But then, like, how do we translate that into truly manifesting it, practically speaking, like manifesting it for real, not just as an idea, not just as a state of feeling, but... Um, like a state of embodiment, right? Right. Right. That's the whole key. Many people, I I would say everyone, is bombarded with uh, insights and guidance every day because the spirit is surrounding us and it's in us and it is us. And it's always broadcasting the truth. But we have to ask ourselves, are we listening? So your spiritual practice uh, makes you listen to what's perennially happening. Mm -hmm. So then when you catch an insight, And an insight is an event that takes place in consciousness where you suddenly or incrementally know something that previously you just believed or or you had forgotten. And and once that insight occurs, now it's our job to stabilize the insight and to integrate it. So now we have to create a way of living that catches that insight and then puts it into practice. So many people have insights, but they be quickly become memories. They say, oh, they say, oh, yeah, but two years ago I had this experience and it was sweet and it was wonderful, but that was two years ago. And so when you have an insight, you have to embody it. Mm-hmm. You have to have spiritual practice. So one, you have to meditate so that you begin to have a level of coherence around the insight. Two, you want to write about it so that you are using the physical body to help integrate. You're actually using your own hand to write a little bit about some of the great insights. Three, you want to read it, and you sometimes you want to read a part of it out loud, so you actually hear what you've written. So now you're using the visual, the auditory, and the physical, the mental, all that's being used so that you're starting to integrate this experience, which is not really an experience. It's actually a realization that's happening. And as you continue to do spiritual practice, there's a moment in which the encounter and the insight is actually becomes more real than external circumstances. Mm. (laughs) Now that's where visionaries live. That's where inventors live, innovators, resourceful people, they actually live in a space where the vision is actually more real than time and circumstance. And then they're compelled to be and to do what is necessary to bring it into manifestation. Mm. This wisdom and guidance. But for many people, it's just one and done. They have an insight 
and then they go on with their regular life. We have to build our life so that it's really a life that is about catching insight, embodying and living it. And many people aren't there because their life is actually built around survival. You know, they, they wake up every single day with a, a quiet sense of desperation about whether or not they're going to survive. Are they going to have enough money to pay rent? Is this going to happen? And so they don't really have enough time or they don't choose to have enough time to actually embark upon the inner journey of self-discovery. Mm. You see? And so what happens is in spiritual growth, we move through the stage of how can I fit my spiritual practice into my busy schedule, which includes what I need to do to survive. You go from there and something happens to my life is actually built around my spiritual practice. It's like it's built around it. It's not trying to, I'm not trying to fit it in. My life is actually built around it. Now, when that change takes place, the momentum that's created in our life from that moment on is monumental. The insights, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, the spontaneous goodness, serendipity, coincidence, things start to work together for good because we're now in a flow Mm. our personal mind but we're in the flow of the mind of God Mm. and so the work that we're doing we're actually chipping away the beliefs and the filters that keep us from seeing this so your question about integration embodiment that is extremely important which is why you want to use your whole being this is why what you eat it's why the type of physical exercise you do the rest, the meditation, the study, all of this plays a big part in integration of a spiritual idea. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. And, um, you know, the piece about the, the nutrition piece, as you know, that's a massive part of my work in the world. And I actually wanted to ask you, because I don't hear many people bring this to your attention in interview settings, but I know it's a huge part of your practice. So... I'd love to know from your perspective, how important do you feel the role of nutrition is for our mental, emotional, and spiritual health? And also along with that question, I want to ask you about your personal lifestyle practices on being on a plant-based diet for over 30 years and the kind of effects it's had on your consciousness. It's kind of a big question, but... Yeah, it's broken down into two parts. It's very important. The nutritional piece of our spiritual goal development and involvement is extremely important because everything is vibration. Mm. And so a number of years ago, after my awakening, I can remember eating a piece of – it's either eating a piece of – I think it was eating a piece of chicken. And um, I could – suddenly I could feel the pain of the chicken. I could feel the anguish of the animal that had sacrificed and died uh, f- to become a piece of chicken. And I put the chicken down and I couldn't eat it anymore. And, and, and I could feel the, 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 the pain and the fear that was in it. And I was, became instantly aware that that vibration was going into my being, that that vibration of fear was going into my being. So at that moment, I stopped eating meat, stopped eating animal byproducts. And I remember my mother was really concerned. She says, what are you going to eat? You know? <laughs> and so that was, that was the first movement, vibration. 
So when we realize we're vibrational beings and we want to put food and nutrition in our body that has high vibes, right. you know, fruits, vegetables, uh, certain supplements that give us a level of coherence around health and harmony and wholeness. And then I began to uh, understand that was the animal from the animal part, the vibration. Then I began to understand that um, environmentally that we're here on this beautiful earth. Good planets are hard to find, you know, and we have a beautiful planet, three-fourths water, you know, and that the amount of waste and methane that comes from uh, the factory farming is way more than cars, way more than people smoking cigarettes. Uh, and that's creating uh, in, the, in the table water pollution, pollution in the air and pollution in the soil. And so from an environmental standpoint, you know, uh, the, 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 the harvesting of animals at this level is very detrimental uh, uh, to the planet and to the human species. And so, so vibration, the, 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 the animal being suffering, the frequency that goes into our body, the, uh, the environmental aspect, and then, in terms of our spiritual practice, uh, the discordant thoughts and emotions that don't even belong to us, they belong to the animal, hmm. are sometimes interrupting our meditation. You have to be very adept, very strong, to be able to transcend that kind of agony that's in an animal when it's dying. And so... Nutrition is very important. And then, of course, we're living in a day and a time where we are aware of the, of the, uh, of the fact that you don't need to eat meat to get protein. Uh, you know, that, that was a fallacy that was um, given the, the people many years ago from the meat and dairy industry. You know, milk does a body good and you have to have your protein. We all know that that's a lie now. It's false that basically – what you need are, are the proper amount of amino acids. Mm-hmm. Amino acids create the protein, and you can get amino. You get your amino acids from broccoli and cauliflower and spinach and fruits, and, and with the right combination of amino acids and the right supplements, you you have your right protein. And it's not the kind of protein that's coming from dead flesh that putrefies in your body. You don't even get any nutrition from that for <laughs> hours because the body has to break it down. The pancreas has to produce more enzymes to break it down and then put it back together again as a protein. But it's putting it back together with something that's dead. Mm. So people end up having what they call old age diseases, which doesn't exist. It just means bad nutrition, bad sleep, bad hydration, bad exercise disease. It doesn't mean, no, there's no such thing as, whoops, you're 75, you're going to disease. No, it just means that for a period of time, you have been not eating properly, you haven't been sleeping properly, you haven't been thinking properly, you haven't been exercising properly, because you don't just suddenly turn a certain age and get sick. It means that for a particular period of time, you've had a bad habit. Mm. So in terms of spiritually speaking, when you have a proper uh, uh, nutrition, you're able to 
think more clearly, the hemispheres of your brain come into a greater harmony with each other, there's less toxins in the bloodstream, there's less cortisol, there's less, to- there's less toxic chemicals, there's more tonic chemicals, which allows you to be more alert, more awake, more systemic enzymes that allows your body to recover and to heal faster. Uh, and so you're able to uh, actually go deeper in your spiritual practice because you're not mentally tired. You don't come home at the end of the day saying, oh, I'm whooped. I can't meditate. You know, you don't wake up drowsy. Oh, I wish I had six more hours of sleep. No, you're alert. Just get with it. Mm. Oh, mm. This gratitude. This, this, this have this commune with the presence. Mm. You know? So the mental body, the emotional body, the physical body is now can come in harmony with the celestial body based on intention, based on right nutrition. So it's very high in my practice. And as you've indicated, I, I've been on plant-based foods. I raised my kids as vegetarians, you know. They rebelled for a while, but now they're back <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and, and back, you know, I've lived long enough and have been in doing this long enough where 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I was a freak. Mm. I, was, I was a mutant. I was weird. You know what I mean? Now, these teachings are a billion-dollar industry. These books, <laughs> we're doing seminars, you know, on these teachings. People are aware of the vegan diet or the vegetarian diet or minimalizing your meat diet. You know, it's the science is out now to show the, uh, the benefits of meditation. The science is out showing the benefits of plant-based food. And so, you know, being a pioneer many years ago, you know, people just thought I was kind of weird. You don't, you don't need any meat? You're gonna die, what's gonna happen? You know, if you don't have any meat. And I would say, I'm gonna be all right. And I, a lot of those people are dead. <laughs> You know, a lot of those have diseases, you know what I mean? And they have diabetes or they have cancer, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. So, you know, so I'm no, I'm no longer the weird one. My community, my community agape is no longer the weird community. It's now shown to be, it was, it was shown to be a pioneer Mm. of right thinking Right speak, right action, you know, and, and what goes in your mouth on the fork is important. And what comes out of your mouth as blessing is important. Mm. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful to be here long enough to see people saying, wow, you were right. <laughs> you know, mm. there's yeah. I'm so glad that you really took the time and the passion to speak into this, because I feel like there's a lot of people in the spiritual community and I you know, I also was one of the people that went with you and um, a group of 80 people from Agape to Egypt for two weeks. And what an incredible, profound, transformative experience that was. One of the things I've seen in the, the global community as I've traveled around the world um, in my own right is the disconnect between... Um, what we put into our body and connecting to our body via spiritual practices and like that connection seems so obvious yet I also understand that I was at a point in my life you know 10 12 years ago where I didn't also see that connection so you know when people ask me about you know vegetarianism or veganism I just simply say at this point that it really is a spiritual path because 
I know that it's very difficult to be in an attitude of gratitude when my body is in pain. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, when, when you when you're firing on all cylinders, there's a natural bliss. There's a natural uh, enthusiasm mm. when you wake up at the pain-free body, and then you have tremendous energy mm. uh, to accomplish your vision and your 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 destiny. Uh, it's you can't you know people used to say years ago you know value your health you know that that you can't that's your health is priceless mm. you know and you don't have to worry about what happens I mean though we should be concerned about what happens to the healthcare healthcare system it needs to be a humanitarian healthcare system but if you are uh, thinking properly and if you're in a perpetual state of gratitude. And you're eating the right nutrition, and you're doing proper spiritual practice of physical exercise. You're not going to be. You're not going to be one of those individuals that uh, have a, 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 a heartbreaking disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should say you're going to cut down the percentage of the possibility right. of it happening. Um, so there's definitely a correspondence between what you put in your mouth, the thoughts you think. And uh, the feelings, the emotions that you have, I should say, and the uh, the toxicity of the body temple. And so, personally, in terms of my spiritual practice, I, I wake up, I get out of the bed, I, I step up on my tiptoes, I open my arms up, and I, I, I give great gratitude and thanksgiving for being awake, aware, and alive, and to being of service. You know, I'm just grateful to be to be alive. Mm. I, I sit, I have a moment of meditation, I do my cleaning up absolutions, I'm, I hydrate, I drink a lot of water, I put my minerals in the water and my crystal energy in the water, take my mega hydrate and take herbs and uh, and then I go work out, I have a, a shake as well and I go work out, I go to the gym and work out, do some yoga, when I come back home, I get ready to go into the office. I take my steam shower. I meditate. And then I make another shake mm. that has avocado in it. Pure synergy. Almond milk. Blueberries. Uh, protein powders. Uh, apple. Uh, and I take my next set of supplements with that particular shake. So I have this nutrition because I've worked out. So now I'm replenishing with my nutrition, I don't have any solid food till lunch. I come into office and then somewhere between 12 and 1 o'clock, there's a nice vegan meal that I have. And it's generally my heaviest meal of the day. And then I hydrate throughout the course of the day, of course. And then uh, then I have a meal in the evening. And it's dinner. It's lighter than my lunch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. Then throughout to, to, up to the evening, I'm, I'm coconut juice and water, you know, lemonade, uh, you know, things of that particular nature that I like, you know. It's, it sounds like you're on an enlightenment type of diet. Everything seems pretty light. Yeah, it's pretty light. Every now and then I'll have a nice one. They have these nice burgers out now made out of pre, pea protein, no soy, no dairy. Mm. Uh, uh, that That's... You know, it tastes pretty tasty. I, I don't do it with the bread. I do it with lettuce. Mm, yeah. 
lettuce and tomato. I, I, I'm off. I don't do bread right now. You know, I'm not saying I'm not going to ever do bread again. I'm just saying right now I, I'm just more uh, vegetables and 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 um, staying away from from bread and, and, and a lot of I don't do a lot of grains right now. But I do do a little quinoa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I, I use my intuition to see what I need at any given moment. Yes. You know? And that's always good not to be so rigid because one of the uh, hallmarks of spirituality is flexibility, you know, so that you don't become rigid in anything, but you become aware so you know when to move. If you're in another country, you know how to adjust to what to eat when you're in a different country, like when we were in Egypt, you know, um, so you, and it's just like when you're doing yoga. Uh, yoga is, is not just about strength, it's about flexibility. So it's, it mirrors our spiritual path. Are we flexible? Do we get out of sorts when what we want isn't there to eat? You have to be flexible so you're able to you know, maneuver and, and, and without being rigid, get what you need to get your nutrition. Right. You know. So I gave you the basics, but uh, I just came off of a cleanse a couple of weeks ago where I, I did a cleanse and it was cleansed out my, my colon and, and uh, you know, did a minimal amount of food. But, you know, and it was really good. I felt really good. I'm feeling the afterglow of the body, you know. And, uh, so those, those things are fun for me. I've been fasting and cleansing for over 40 years, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so cool. I, 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 I just have so much fun with this conversation. Um, I've never actually heard you go into that level of detail. And I've had Dr. Gabriel Cousins on a few times. Um, he's a he's a mentor such as yourself. And, um, you know, it's just fun to have this conversation, not so much like from the science, the ultra scientific perspective, but from like the practical spiritual perspective of like, you know, just feeling amazing in our body. And like when we feel amazing, how much of our purpose can we actually act on? Like that becomes more of the interesting part of the conversation for me is like, you know, I, I, I personally feel that longevity has a lot more to do with us being fully in our purpose than it has to do with us being on the best diet. But when we're on the best diet for us, we have more energy, we need less sleep, and then we can be more in our purpose and we tend to like be more vital and healthy. That's, that's absolutely true. By the way, Gable Cousins and I are friends. Mm-hmm. We've done programs together here at Agape and had a, a, a community fasting. Oh. We came and we had all the, the good stuff in the parking lot and we taught people how to fast and pray and fast and pray. We went to China together. Yeah, me and, tell me about that, yeah. And him and Ron Teagarden from Dragon Herbs. Wow. A number of other people and we stayed at the Shaolin Temple and we worked with the uh, the monks there with uh, the, 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 the breathing and the food. It was really powerful. We saw some very powerful things. So uh, he's a great mentor to have in terms of uh, nutrition for spiritual growth development and unfoldment. But you're, you're absolutely correct that that our natural state of being is pain-free. Our natural state of being is, is yes, that's But some people, because they've been fed negative thinking and fear 
thoughts from the time they were a kid and survival thoughts. And then they've been given uh, food that's addictive, sugar, high fructose, corn syrup and uh, dairy products that become very addictive because it feeds the same receptor sites uh, that morphine does. So because they become addicted to cheese and all kinds of stuff, they don't really know what bliss feels like in the body. And so what happens is they have to find um, things outside to make them feel good. They have to do pharmaceuticals. They have to do drugs. They have to do alcohol. They have to do something to shift their consciousness that's not health producing. And then they end up becoming addicted to those things so they can get a little hit in their mind when, in fact, your body temple is, is the greatest chemistry set you'll ever meet. It can produce anything. It can get you higher than cocaine, <laughs> higher than heroin. It can, it can produce any chemical necessary that matches your bliss. Mm. It will just produce the chemical. It's already – all the chemicals are already there. And many of these people, you know, uh, their parents didn't know and their parents didn't know and their parents didn't know. So they've been given uh, – they've been built a bad deck mm. genetically and uh, uh, nutritionally and become addicted to it. However, once you change that, you change your DNA. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't have to keep the cards you were dealt with. You can actually <laughs> reshuffle the deck. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we know about spiritually is that you're not a victim to anything. Mm. Your parents may have... Uh, uh, have the genetic makeup to have diabetes or cancer, and it might be in your matrix, but you don't have to activate it. Yeah. You can actually reshuffle that deck and activate an immortality gene, uh, you know, a gene for longevity, a gene for creativity, uh, vitality. Oh. And this is, of course, what we've been teaching for years, and now with the onset of um, friends like Bruce Lipton and uh, uh, you know, Joe Dispenza, individuals who have done groundbreaking work in uh, living biology, it actually shows that you change your, at an epigenetic level, you change your, your, your genetic code through right thinking and right speak and right hydration, right exercise, right nutrition, right meditation. You know, you can reshuffle the deck. You don't have to keep the cards the same way. I've been dealt with these cards. My mother, she had cancer. My dad, I don't know. What am I going to do? Reshuffle the deck, baby. Reshuffle the deck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, that's uh, – I I, um, I want to squeeze as much as I can this next 20 minutes with you. But I, I have to bring this up because it's near and dear to my heart. You mentioned Walter Russell. Yes. Now, I have to mention this because almost nobody except me knows this um, for obvious reasons. So my birthday is May 19th. I came to find out that his birthday was May 19th, and he died at the age of 92 on May 19th. Um, that was an interesting – I just point that out because it's like right. I just have right. to say that. Um, but he wrote a, he, one of his great books. Um, I think it was Genius Inherent Within – there's yes. this great quote is uh, mediocrity um, mediocrity is self-inflicted genius is self-bestowed yes one of my favorite quotes uh, okay yeah, yeah. Well, most people in America don't even know who Walter Russell is Walter <laughs> Russell is probably the greatest mystic to come out of America wow and uh, he was my hero 
when I was had my initial spiritual awakenings, he was one of the individuals that came to me that I that I was able to learn from because I, when I thought I was going crazy because I was having these tremendous experiences of which I had no reference for. I studied Walter Russell, and he had some very similar cosmic consciousness experiences. And I realized I wasn't alone. And so I began to study him, the Divine Iliad, and, and a lot of his books, and realized what I was going through. Mm. He was one of America's great renaissance men. Mm-hmm. He, he, he invented the duplex. He was a sculptor, a painter, uh, raised Arabian horses. He was a uh, ice skating champion at age 69. <laughs> he was a multimillionaire. Uh, he, he, he discovered some of the elements in, the, in the, uh, the empirical chart before they were known. He was a scientist. Uh, he did things like they, the government had hired this great sculptor to paint one of the busts of the presidents. At the last minute, the sculptor bailed out. Walter Russell said, I can do it. He had never sculpted a day in his life. <laughs> and, they, and they said, what? And his friend said, you're foolhardy to do this. He meditated on a train. I think from Philly, some east, eastern seaboard town, city, all the way to D.C. And when he got off the train, he said, I'm a sculptor. And he sculpted the bust of the president. It's at the Smithsonian Institute right now. And, and, and to go from one medium painting to another medium sculpting is unheard of but he just went and as he said mediocrity is self-inflicted he bestowed genius upon himself through his love of god and became a sculptor and so he was one of my great uh i for a while i used to say that most of my friends were dead you know (laughs) he was one of my great teachers who had already passed on Mm. possibility of humanity you know so people that this this is the kind of stuff that needs to be taught in school. People need to study Walter Russell. Yeah. They don't need to study war heroes. They need to study peace heroes. Absolutely. You know, we, we don't need to have any more parks named after generals. We need parks named after mystics. Mm. Parks named after inventors, creators. We need parks named after people who bring peace. We need parks named after people who went into the depth of their being and make great discoveries. Mm. We don't need not one more park named after any general ever again in history because it points humanity towards fear and worry and hate and war mm. and, and, and uh, survival rather than thriving through self-evolution. Mm. So that's my two cents on that. That's yeah. amazing. What an incredible synchronicity that is. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to attempt to um, get to these next couple questions that are from audience submissions from a couple friends of mine, and they're really beautiful questions. So my friend Josh Trent um, asks, uh, when you, when you, Michael Beckwith, sat with Oprah, one of the wisest things that came through you was... You cannot have what you're not willing to become vibrationally. If you do get it, you will lose it. He asked, can you share a moment in your life where you felt this to be true for you? And how did you vibrationally turn the tide? That particular moment, uh, that particular teaching is very true. That we're here to, as we've been using the word embody, 
to become ensouled with something, not to mentally manipulate, manipulate and to get something. Mm-hmm. This is what thieves do. They will steal from other people, but they have to keep stealing because they don't have a spiritual and mental equivalent for the thing. So they have to keep stealing it from other people where someone else who has a mental equivalent of it, you may steal it from it, but they're going to get another one because it's within them. You know, if you steal somebody's car, you're going to have to get rid of that car. But the person that you stole it from, they're going to get another car because they have the consciousness for a car. Mm. So you can't have what you're not willing to become in consciousness. And if you do manipulate to get it or get it temporarily, you'll lose it. I'm, I, I can't think of a particular experience where I lost something uh, that I, I had. For me, what, what I always have done in life, and I'm not suggesting that everybody do this, I've always had the tendency to bite off more than I can chew. Yeah. Something would come and I'd get an opportunity and I would say, I can do it, even if I'd never done it before. And what would happen is it would force me to grow into that area. I would just throw myself open and surrender to the presence that's within me. And then the presence would guide me towards whatever it is I needed to know or learn or whatever skill I needed to have. I would ramp up. And by the time I did the thing, I was actually gone to another level of consciousness. So I never really would turn down something and say, I'm not ready for it. I would always say, well, I've never done that before, but I'm willing to do it. You know, so if I was, I've been invited to speak at the United Nations. I was invited to facilitate uh, world leadership meetings with His Holiness the Dalai Lama to facilitate those meetings. Uh, I've, I've been I've invited to do things that at the time I never done anything like that before, and I would say sure. And then there'd be a tremendous amount of nervousness, and then I would just grow into the space. Mm. And that, that's what happened the first time I ever spoke publicly. Uh, I was sitting. I went on a private retreat up to Big Bear, California, and I was meditating. And all of a sudden, this scroll rolled out of the sky in front of me. And it was a newspaper clipping. And it said, Michael Beckwith to speak at this center in Tacoma. Then it rolled up and disappeared. I never spoke publicly before. I was an avid meditator. And so when I got home, the phone rang. And there was a gentleman by the name of Bill on the phone. And he said... Is this Michael Beckwith? I said, yes. He says, we would like you invite you to be the guest speaker at our community because the minister is retired. We don't have anybody to speak. And I said, first I said, yeah, I know. I saw the scroll. <laughs> and they said, what? And I said, oh, nothing, nothing. And I said, well, are you aware that I'm not a minister? At this time, I wouldn't even, I, was, I hadn't graduated, you know. They said, yes, we're aware. I said, are you aware? I'm not even a licensed practitioner. I hadn't graduated from that either. He said, yes, we are aware. I said, well, why are you inviting me to speak? We saw you at this Asilomar Conference Ground spiritual camp, and we really liked your vibration and what you had to say. We think you'd be a great speaker. So I said, okay. I hung up the phone. And when I hung up the phone, I got really nervous. What am I going to say? Who am I to go out and just tell people about God? I don't have any degrees yet. And I laid down on the couch and I left my body and I started flying. And I looked back at Michael on the couch. Michael was really nervous. And I was next thing I was in the body again, I was nervous. 
And then I was out of the body again, and I was flying, and I looked back. I was full of confidence. And I looked back, and I said, that Michael, he gets so nervous. Doesn't he understand yet that? And the moment I said the word that, I was back in the body again, really nervous. Went on to speak, and as soon as I started speaking, the energy came through. Everything I needed to know, I knew. Flowed. People were healed. It was tears. It was tremendous. And I, I just bit off what, you know, just bit, I said, okay, I'll do it. Now, let's fast forward. That was in 1976. Wow. Okay. Wow. Fast forward to 19, either 76 or 77. Fast forward to 1987. Agape's one year old. I'm in my office. Something was going on. I can't remember what it was right now. And I was nervous about it. Next thing I know, I'm, and I go inside, when I'm nervous, I go into meditation. Next thing I know, I'm standing next to myself, looking at myself meditate. And I said, Michael doesn't have to be nervous about that. I'm with him now. Mm. And then I merged back with Michael. Now, the difference between those two experiences, the one in 1977, I was more identified with the guy on the couch. 1987, after integration, I was more identified with the guy standing next to Michael. And so year after year after year, there's been greater integration, you see. And so I, I'm aware if something comes to me and I don't know how to do it, it's calling for me to integrate with the spirit at a higher level. You know, you know, agape, 30 years, we have to move. We have to find our own location. We have to find our own buildings. We have to raise a lot of money. That's calling upon me to expand my awareness and to also help the congregation expand their awareness so that they can be a source of, of revenue, you mm-hmm. see. And so it's an interesting challenge, but the universe is causing me to grow, to be able to, to take the next step, however, whatever that next step looks like. And that's, so I can't think of a moment where I got something and lost it. I mean, if I died deep enough, I could remember, but most of the time, it just forced me to grow. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm not letting this go until I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think that's that's such a beautiful and well <clears throat> well thought out answer. I mean, it just speaks so. I mean, I I have goosebumps just thinking about it because it's so representative of every growth edge that I've been on in my life and I think everybody can relate to that because that's just the human experience I guess just transformation and integration and then it's like a video game it's kind of like it's like Super Mario or something it's like you got to grow in order to get to the next level there's new level of challenge and resistance and and tension and then you overcome that and you keep you keep hopscotching to one level to another and uh, it's it's like I, I kind of feel like um I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but my friend reminded me that life is a game. And he said, you know, the way you could you could you could decrease stress is just to gamify your life a little bit more. Just view it as a game. And every challenge that comes up is like, what if you could take it from stress to like, what if you could like actually fully engage with it so much that, you know, it's just it's just one more point of growth towards the next part of the adventure. That's it. Gamify. 
I like to say it's an adventure. You're on an adventure. Yeah. So when, 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 you, when you embark upon an adventure, you don't know what's going to happen. You've never gone that particular path before, but you have a heightened state of alertness because you're on an adventure. <laughs> so I like to say that life is an adventure. It's a game and it's an adventure. Mm. You stay alert. You stay focused. You maintain your vision. You stay open to guidance and wisdom and feedback. And if you're on an adventure, then there's less stress. You know, this intensity, yes. But distress, no. Mm. Intensity. Mm. You know, what I do today, it's intense what I do. Speaking three times on a Sunday, another time on a Wednesday, teaching classes during the week, flying here and there to speak and do more workshops, going on, I have the ability to go on uh, Oprah or Dr. Oz or do my own radio program every week or teach classes or do meditation retreats and write books. And, and it's an intensity. Mm. It's an adventure. Yeah. You know, um, and if somebody were to jump into my shoes without preparation, <laughs> post-traumatic stress. <laughs> because the energy I can carry, I make it just look like I'm walking in the park. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody were to jump into it without the preparation that I've had over the years of meditation and surrender, it would blow their circuits. Totally. The amount of stuff I have to contend with every single day. And then you have human beings with human consciousness thrown into the mix, <laughs> making up realities and making up stuff and, and talking crazy. You know what I mean? You have all those kind of people in the mix with it. You have to love them up to, to they, you know, until they can love themselves to stop gossiping and making stuff up. You know, mm. it's a it's an interesting walk. Oh, yeah. There's, it's like every every time you share an insight, I got ten questions that pop up, but I'm gonna, I'm obviously gonna refrain. Um, I do want to, um, I'm gonna see how we do in the next couple minutes here. But there's two questions that two people asked. One of them comes from my my intimate partner Rima, who asked. She actually just graduated from the Science of Mind as a practitioner in Encinitas, so she she obviously loves your work. We were just at Agape two weeks ago. Um, her question is, what kept him solid and clear as he was going through the ministerial ministerial path so that his resistances didn't get the best of him? Yeah. And basically, first of all, I loved and loved the teachings. So I was very clear that I was on a learning curve mm. And opening myself up to greater insights into what pulled me to be there in the first place. And then secondly, uh, there, there was always a vision. It was a little amorphous at first, but there was a vision that was pulling me. And so all the stuff and all the hoops you have to jump through and all the stuff that on a human level you can say this should be done this way, this should be better. I didn't allow myself to go into complaint mode. Mm. I went into, I looked at all the stuff that I may, maybe didn't like. I looked upon it as initiation. You know, oh, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Okay, that's a part of my initiation. Yeah. They say I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. Okay, that's a part of my initiation. I'm not going to rail against it. If I can't control it, if I can't change it, then it's a part of my initiation in order for me to get to where I'm going. Mm. And I've noticed that people that end up with a whole lot of complaint in their mouth, 
about everything, it stops their momentum. Sometimes they end up giving up because their complaint becomes bigger than their vision. Mm. And complaining is your public declaration of your inability to see the Christ and your public declaration of your inability to see your own vision. That's what complaining is. That was amazing. Complaining halts your your momentum. That just reminded me, I don't even have... Complaining is a luxury, isn't it? Like, I realize it's like a first world problem. Like, most of the world doesn't even have time or bandwidth to formulate a complaint. It's like literally a luxury. They're surviving. They got to they figure out how they're going to eat today. You know, people around here complaining about traffic. You know, they got a car. They're going somewhere. You know what I mean? If people around the world, they don't go two blocks outside of the area that they're living in. They can't. They got to walk to where to get their water and then walk back. You know, and and uh, here people are complaining because the manicures messed up their nail. You know what I mean? Or or something to that effect. And. Uh, so I, I, in order to go through the school, I can remember at one point I decided I was going to graduate and um, I just went through it. And whatever was thrown at me, I just looked at it as initiation and did it to the best of my ability. I didn't try to skim it. I didn't try to like just get over and just do the minimal because how, however you go through something like that is how you're going to live your life. Yeah. So if you go through life giving a minimal just to get by, you end up doing that all the time. So I always try to turn everything out. It's like, how can I take this assignment and, and just big it up so that it's so crazy good. You know what I mean? And uh, and then that's how I end up doing stuff. It's like, how can I do this great revelation conference? You know what I mean? How can I do this meditation retreat? I, you know, I'm not going to like just do the minimal around it. I want to do like blow it out as best I can mm. so, that, so that grace can give me something beyond my imagination. Yeah, that, that reminds me of the quote along the lines that fate favors the bold or something, something like that. Being bold enough to, to play at our best, right? Not to play into mediocrity. Oh, absolutely. You know, Thoreau talks about that kind of uh, boldness when uh, you make that kind of decision to go for excellence, that it has boldness, has, it has power in it. And, and Goethe, same thing, you know, that... Mm-hmm divine providence that you mentioned earlier begins to take place when you're bold enough to make a choice for greatness. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I have one more question and, um, this is a great one to conclude this incredible conversation on. Um, one other individual asks, what is Michael Beckwith's vision for the next 50 years for humanity and what role does he play in shaping it? The vision uh, that I have seen for humanity, and I've seen it even as I was having my initial awakenings, as I see a world that works for the highest and best within us all, I see a world that where everyone's needs are met just basically just because they're born here and that they have enough uh, bandwidth to actually discover their gift. Uh, The structures of the world now that are basically exploitative – most of the structures are exploitive. They exploit people uh, for profit. Are disintegrating in front of us. They don't. They don't work anymore. Um, we're in a state of flux right this moment, where the old structures are falling down, and new structures are emerging. The challenge is that 
the news reports from the old structure paradigm. Right. Whereas we are the reporters from the new structure paradigm, but we're not controlling all of that technology. So the kind of work you're doing right now on this particular interview and people like yourself that are beginning to get the good news out, they're building the infrastructure for the new story of the world, of possibility. That's going to become stronger because uh, the energy of the present goes towards the most progressive. Mm. News, as we know it today, is going to become weaker. Now, as that flux is taking place, it's going to look like things are getting worse before they get better because that's what happens when you're in the midst of transformation. When the caterpillar is seeking to become a butterfly unconsciously, it doesn't put wings on a caterpillar. <laughs> you know, the caterpillar gets worse before it gets better. It actually dies. It actually, the old body actually falls apart mm. and becomes a liquid and then reforms itself into the butterfly with wings and imaginal cells on the wings and all of that. And so we're in that same process. Uh, we have a, a what you call a um, uh, evolutionary trigger mm-hmm. that's in my house. And they're also in other nations as well. It's, it's a time in which um, things are being shifted where that which was hidden, it can now be seen. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It is, it'll come to me later. But um, it's a great shift taking place. Things that were hidden years ago. Uh, it, like the veil? Yeah, the veil. People could wear ties and smile and say things and people believed it. Now people know that people are lying. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't come five years. <laughs> course correction. That's what I'm trying course to say. Course correction, yeah. There's a course correction taken mm. that's happening right now because people are waking up and saying, he's lying. <laughs> They're lying. They don't have our best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. They're giving tax cuts to the rich and, 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 and raping the poor. People are beginning to see it now. Yeah, it's been happening all along, but now it's becoming evidence. Course correction. So, um, but at the same time, there are beings on the planet who are building up the new infrastructure. You know, you have you have people, the individual who created, uh, you know, the, creating these beautiful cars that run on electricity. You know, mm-hmm. the Teslas, the Teslas, and. You have uh, uh, people that are using great wealth and technology to actually create other kinds of systems, other kinds of structures, other kinds of revenue, other kinds of circulation, other kinds of uh, capital. Yeah. It's all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, in the quantum reality, that's called the condensate. Mm-hmm. Under, the, under the Newtonian view, two things cannot occupy the same space. You know, They just can't do it. But in the quantum reality... Two things can occupy the same space if they're vibrating at different rates of speed. So that right now you have things that are vibrating at a very high level of speed. At the same time, you have negativity. So what happens is energy is going to flow towards the highest. And then the highest is going to become visible. And you're going to see a great change. Mm -hmm. So in the next 50 years, because we're facing such great systemic issues, pollution, soil degradation, Uh, ozone dissolving, Uh, all the things that's that's going on, wars, war, uh, uh, are are every, so much out of every dollar going to defense rather than to education and and health. 
um, these systemic issues that are going to become untenable after a while. And when that happens, just like the butterfly melting, the caterpillar melting, becoming a butterfly, you're going to start to see the emergence of that which has been working. It's been hidden, but it's working. There are wonderful alternative economies and uh, educa- uh, uh, alternative healing. It used to be called alternative healing, but more people are dealing with the alternative than with the AMA. It's not alternative anymore. It's the actual real deal. Mm. So you're going to see that happen within the next 50 years, that which is invisible becoming visible. Yeah. And I think agape and centers like agape play a pivotal role in that. And, and, and that's where we're at. Absolutely. And that just made me think about the Agape live streaming for everybody out there that is not in Southern California or um, is not able to make it for whatever reason. I'd love for you to share the resources for the programs and for people to be able to tune in every Sunday or Wednesday to see you live um, through Agape live stream. Yeah, we want individuals to actually take their Sunday back from silly entertainment (laughs) <laughs> and to be a part of a community of individuals who are rising mm-hmm. in a, a coherence around excellence and beauty and love and harmony. So all they have to do is go to agapelive.com, A-G-A-P-E-L-I-V-E.com, and watch any or all of the three services beginning at 6.30 a.m., the meditation service, the way of meditation, 8.30 or 11 and be a part of the, the growing community of those individuals who are in love with the presence and in love with the possibility that lies within humanity. They can be a part of it just like that. Mm, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, that could be the single greatest use of your time. So as someone who's been who's um, had the pleasure of speaking at the Life Food Ministry at Agape, who's just gone to Agape and followed uh, your work, Michael Beckwith, for so many years, um, it's made such a deep impact in my life. And I can't say that I would be doing the work I'm doing at the level I'm doing it with the vision that's propelling me forward if it weren't for you and the work that you've laid out for people like me. So my internal gratitude to you for pioneering this work, joining me for this call and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thank you so much. Ronnie Landis, thank you for the invitation. Keep doing the great work. It is my joy. And they can tune in Sunday and or Wednesday evening as well. Those are Pacific Standard Times I gave. The Wednesday evening service begins at 645. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me. Peace and blessings, Ronnie.